This is Sam Anderson, lead pastor at Central Church. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. This morning I want to start us off with a little social experiment. It's Super Bowl Sunday, right? So so this is a sports experiment. And it's a word association test. All right? So I am going to say a word or two. And I want you to shout back at me the first thing that comes into your mind. Got it? Simple experiment. I'm going to say something. Shout back at me the first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? Oh, man, this is going to be rough. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Ready? Detroit. See, there we go, right? You got it. You got it. All right. Let's go. Yeah, there we go. Go green. Oh, getting a little thinner. Where's my man Quinn? Is he not here? I, I knew I'd hear his voice if he was here. All right, here, let's try another one. O-H. Okay, ushers. Ushers, you can escort those people out. Um, we are. Wow. Diversity, right? Diversity. <laughs> All right, one more. See if anybody gets this one. Boomer. <laughs> do not call me a boomer. I missed it by two years. Don't do that. No. So, boomer, who said sooner? Yeah, I thought it was. I, thought, I figured. So, so why is it that we started off all together, right? Everybody's all in. And then by the end, we got one person. Why is that? Because we're all from different cultures, right? We're all from different cultures. And, and see, cultures are things we share. A culture just means that we have shared customs, we have shared beliefs, we have shared thoughts and ideas that we all understand, you know? Um, it's funny, the word, the word meme now means a funny picture with words on it. But if you, if you actually went to school for, a lot, for philosophy, a meme means a shared cultural memory. Like, you see something and everybody knows exactly what it is, you know? Um, that's, but that's culture. Culture says we share these things in common. So we all know when you say Detroit, it's basketball. At least it has been since Mason was the announcer. I, I'm old enough to remember Ken Calvert being the announcer, but that's a different story altogether. Um, we were actually winning championships back then. Um, I know, too soon, right? Uh, <laughs> But like I said, shared customs are, are just shared ideas, shared customs, shared beliefs. <clears throat> and all of us are a part of multiple cultures, right? We're all part of the United States. The United States has a specific culture. It's very different from Canada. It's different from Mexico. It's different from Great Britain. Our culture is unique, right? Uh, Midwestern culture has its own thing, you know? Oh, let me scooch by you here, Right? This is a Midwestern thing. Nobody says this in Texas, right? Nobody says this. It's a Midwestern thing. Or Detroit. Detroit has its own culture, right? Detroit versus everybody. We all know that. This is our thing. This is our, this is our culture. And those of you who have moved here from other parts of the country, you got here and you went, whoa, this is new, right? Am I right? Detroit culture is a different thing. It is not like Texas culture. It's not like Florida culture. It's not like... Detroit culture is its own thing. Uh, Central Church, right? 
we have our own culture. If you go to the church down the street, it will not be like this, right? Because we have our own culture. We have our own way of doing things, our own style, our own substance, our own thoughts, our own ideas. Your family is a culture. Your friends are a culture. Your job is a culture. All these cultures that you're a part of make you who you are. No matter how hard you try, when you move into a culture, when you become part of a culture, it changes you. You start to become like that culture. I'm, I'm terrible at this, particularly with accents. I have an ear for accents. So if I go down to Tennessee to visit my wife's family, if I'm down there more than a couple of days, I'm in big trouble because I start getting that twang to my voice. I just, I just kind of naturally go that way. Um, but at the same time, there are parts of cultures that we keep with us when we move, right? So it, you, can, you can leave a place. Another, I'll use Lori's family. Lori's mom grew up in Tennessee and um, lived, lived her young life there and then moved up here. Never lost her accent. Never lost her Tennessee accent. She tried to lose her accent. Couldn't do it. Um, and that's just true. There are some things that we hold on to. And that's how cultures shift and change. Because as we bring in new people to the culture, every little mix changes things. You know? Uh, I, I, this first service I talked about Rich and Carmen. When Rich and Carmen joined Central Church, it changed our culture. Didn't completely make it something different, but it did change it, altered it. And each one of you, as you join the, the, our culture here at Central Church, it changes it just a little bit. Because cultures are always shifting and changing. They're not the same, right? But when you get into a new culture, you start to take on characteristics from that culture. Even if people like Jessica still root for the wrong sports teams, you know, and that sort of thing. Oh, she's rolling her eyes at me. But culture is constantly changing. And, and again, it's, it's a forward and a backward thing. You hold on to some and you, you gather new. Um, this, uh, this weekend, well, so my family has, a, has a, our own cultural thing. Lori and I actually started when I was a child, but Lori and I have carried it on, where Saturday morning is family breakfast. And we get up and we make a, some sort of, you know, it's not like you just get cereal. Cereal's the rest of the week. We make some sort of big breakfast, like pancakes or waffles or something interesting. But this past uh, Saturday, yesterday, um, I made bis biscuits and gravy. Any southern, uh, southern people here, you know what I'm talking about? Biscuits and gravy, right? Sausage gravy, you know, the big chunks of sausage in it. All right, so you know what I'm talking about. I also made chocolate gravy. Now, how many of you have ever heard of chocolate gravy? Anybody? One, two, two people? It is the greatest thing in the world. If you haven't had it, go down south and find you a restaurant that serves chocolate gravy. It, they're hard to find. You have to search, but they exist. It is, it is, it's the nectar of the gods. It is the greatest thing in the world. Um, and I learned it because... My wife's family is from Tennessee, and she grew up having it, so I had to figure out how to make it for her. It's a cultural thing. But here's the weird thing. My daughter went to England for a study abroad thing for theater, and she experienced British scones with clotted cream. How many of you have ever been to London and you've had British scones? Anybody? Yeah, a couple of people. So what are British scones, you ask? They're southern biscuits. Because the 
British, way back in the 1700s, came across here and came to the United States, and they brought with them what? Their food, their culture. They brought scones. And now we've been a couple hundred years now, and the southern, southern people say, oh, southern biscuits. Well, no, they're actually British scones. Because cultures shift and change, and we gather, and we, we assimilate, and we, it's constantly changing. But there's a dark side to culture. There's a dark side to culture. One of the pieces, one of the things that makes a dark side to culture is culture tries to define who our enemies are. Culture tries to define who our enemies are, right? If you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, who's the enemy? Where's my Cowboys fans? No Cowboys fans? It's the Redskins. If you're a U of M fan, who's the enemy? Ohio State, right? It's just Ohio is, is, the, is the axis of evil. There is no compromise. You can, you can be from Michigan and you can root for Notre Dame. I mean, you do you if you want to. But you cannot root for Ohio State. It's a rule. They'll kick you out of Michigan, I'm telling you. Um, if, you're from, if you went to MSU, who do you hate? Michigan, right? Um, if you're a millennial, who do you hate? Boomers! Oh, everybody's. Harsh. Harsh. Wow. If, and, 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 and again, like the United States. You know, for a while there, our enemy was Japan. And then we said, no, oh, no, 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 no. We like Japan. Our enemy is Germany. Oh, no, 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 no. We like Germany. Our enemy is Russia. Oh, no, no, no. We like Russia. Our enemy is Iraq. Oh, no. It's Afghanistan. Oh, it, who is it today? I keep, can't keep track. But our culture tells us who our enemies are <clears throat> and who we like and don't like. And that's the problem. And this is not a new problem. This problem has been, along, been around for as long as humans have existed. Our cultures have told us who our enemies were. Matter of fact, most of the New Testament deals with this problem. You see, in the early church, Jesus and his, his disciples were all Jewish, right? And the Jews had their own culture. No bacon, right? No pulled pork, no lobster, no crawdads, no, no, no shellfish. Uh, you had to get circumcised. Ouch. Um, you know, you didn't associate with people who weren't like you. Jews had a very specific rule. They did not have dinner. They did not have socialized with people who weren't like them. This was a problem in the early church because Jesus came and said, listen, y'all come, everybody in the pool. God's, God's grace is for everybody. And so the early churches had a lot of conflict because people who came into the churches weren't Jews and the Jews said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've got to stop eating bacon. And you got to get circumcised. And the Gentiles are like, oh, I don't think so. And there was these conflicts within the church. And if you read the New Testament carefully, from Acts all through the letters of Paul that he wrote to the different churches, you'll see that the undertone or sometimes the explicit uh, message there is, listen, you guys, it's not about culture. It's not about fighting. It's not about trying to be all the same. It's about the grace of God. Stop fighting about culture. Stop fighting about whose culture is better or whose 
culture is not. In fact, it got so bad in the early church that you actually had a fight between the Apostle Paul, the church planner, and, G- and, and Peter, who was one of um, Jesus' disciples. They got into a fight over this. You say, the early church got into fights? Yeah, they got into fights. We find it in Galatians chapter 2, and I'll, I'll clarify some of this for you. This is Paul writing to the church in Galatia about this incident, and he refers to Peter as Cephas. And Cephas is just his other name. His born name was Cephas, and, and, uh, and Jesus said, no, you're going to be called Peter, but it's the same person. We're talking about Peter here. So Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was wrong. He had been eating with Gentiles before certain people came from James, but when they came, he began to back out and separate himself because he was afraid of the people who promoted circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also joined him in this hypocrisy so that even Barnabas got carried away with them in their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they weren't acting consistently, With the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of everyone, if you, though you're a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you require the Gentiles to live like Jews? He said, listen, you're telling telling these Gentiles that they have to be like Jews to be part of Jesus' church, and that's wrong. It's not about telling them they should change their culture. They don't have to be like you. They just have to... Know, know Jesus and know the love of Jesus. So this conflict between cultures has been around for a long, long time. And it's something we fight with all the time. And we have to realize there's no such thing as a good culture or a bad culture. There are simply cultures that we're familiar with and cultures that we're unfamiliar with. The cultures we're comfortable with and there's cultures that we're not comfortable with. I used the example this morning in the first service about uh, me and hip-hop culture. I'm, 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 I'm not comfortable with, with hip-hop culture. And that's, it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just me. Because I grew up, at, I mean, I grew up at the time when hip-hop was being invented, right? So I was aware of African Bambada, and I was afraid of, uh, aware of Curtis Blow, and I was aware of... of uh, uh, let me think of who else, uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five or Nucleus or all these, I was aware of this stuff. It just never became my thing, you know? But that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. It's just not my thing. Same thing with country western culture. I have never understood country western culture. It's just not my thing. I do not want to wear a pair of boots and go like boot scoot boogieing or whatever that is. I don't even know what it is. It's not, I'm not in that world. I'm a city boy. I always have been. I've lived here in Detroit my entire life, except for when I went away to college. Two of the longest years of my life in Indiana. Um, But that's a different story. But there's nothing wrong with these other cultures. There's nothing wrong with country country western culture. There's nothing wrong with hip-hop culture. It's just not my thing. I'm not familiar with it. I'm not comfortable with it. It's not my thing. So it's not my place to criticize these things. Folks, and as Christians, we cannot make cultures our enemy, and that's the problem. We're getting into the situation, and it's been around for a long time, like I said, where we're making enemies in culture. And we say, well, this culture is good, this culture is bad. We make value judgments about it. 
But for Christians, there are no good and bad cultures. Paul, again, to a different church, church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 3, says this. He says, in this image, in the image of Christ, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all things and in all people. So listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, Christ is the main thing. Culture is secondary. Don't get into these fights about whose culture is better. You're all united under Christ. That doesn't mean we unite our cultures. It doesn't mean we become like each other. It just means we stop fighting about it. We stop fighting about whose culture is better or whose culture should win out. It's not possible to have one unifying culture that we all share. It just doesn't work that way. But we can stop fighting. It doesn't need to divide us anymore. Culture doesn't need to divide us. And as Christians, we need to consciously resist the temptation to judge other cultures and to make value choices about what cultures are good and what cultures are bad. We have to resist the temptation to allow culture to divide us. That's what, our, that's what culture tells us to do, that we need to find our enemies and fight against our enemies. No, that's not our place. We need to learn to appreciate other cultures and to honor those other cultures, even if they're different from our own. And we do that by developing cultural empathy. Now, empathy is a word that it's fairly simple, but I don't know that everybody thinks about what it is. Empathy just means that we understand and share the experiences and the life of somebody different than us. Empathy just means we understand and share their life, their experiences. We don't just notice that they're different, but we participate with them in their differences. Paul described, again, talking about Paul in Romans, he described empathy this way in Romans chapter 12. He said, be happy with those who are happy and cry with those who are crying. Enter into their life and experience it with them, even if their culture is different than yours. I'll give you an example. We've all been to lots of weddings, right? Been to plenty of weddings. When you go to a wedding uh, of, a, of a couple of people that you don't know that well, like somebody that you know from work, but that's hardly, like, that's all you know about them, and they invite you to their wedding, you're kind of sitting there going, yeah, this is great. These two people are getting married. That's, that's, that's really cool, Right? You, you, you mentally, you know this is a cool event, this is a really joyous event, but you're not like all worked up about it. But like when your best, per, when your best friend gets married, like your best pal gets married to the person that, that they've, they've been with for so long and you know them both, you're at that wedding and you're like, this is the greatest thing ever. They, they finally got married, this is so cool. Right? You feel it. You experience the joy with them. That's empathy. That's empathy. You don't just see that this is a joyous occasion, but you actually feel it with them. Lori is a, my wife Lori is a, is a, is a, like a natural empath. That's like her second nature is to be empathic, which is great because it kind of fits with her career. But, um, but literally, 
Uh, you know those YouTube videos where somebody's like on a skateboard and they're grinding a rail and they lose it and they come down on the, on the pipe like with one leg on one side of the pipe and one leg on the other side of the pipe and bam? You know, you know what I'm talking about? If I show those videos to Lori, she will literally go, oh! And she feels it. She can't watch stuff like that because it literally just gives, she has a physical reaction. She has an empathic reaction to those sorts of things. Or, or good Lord, don't let her watch a movie about child abuse or something like that. You, she will lose it. Or, or just, you know, commercials about, you know, people and puppies. Forget it, you know. But she's feeling what other people are feeling, and that's what empathy is. And that's what we need to develop so that we not just see other people and notice that they're different, but we care about them enough that we actually feel alongside of them and we experience what they're experiencing. There are three layers or, or phases of empathy that we're going to talk about this morning. There's understanding, there's experiencing, and there's acting. So to truly be empathic, you need to understand another culture, understand it, get to know it. You have to experience it, get in, kind of get inside and actually experience it. And then the third thing, which is the tough one that a lot of people leave out, is you act. You act. You do something for the benefit of people who are different than you are. Now, Jesus as in all things, was the perfect example of empathy. The perfect example of empathy. Because he understood, as God, he understood our plight. He understood what humanity was going through. But he didn't just stop that understanding. He actually came down to live as a man, to experience our life the same way we experience it. He came down to experience our life, so he could truly not just understand it with his mind, but feel what we feel. But he didn't stop there. He went on to act. He said, I've, I understand what human beings are going through. I, I felt what they feel. Now I need to do something about it. And that's what Jesus did. He acted on our behalf. And to be more loving and more Christ-like, you and I, need to develop that kind of empathy in ourselves for people who are different than we are. So we're going to go through them one by one. Three things. Developing cultural empathy requires understanding, experiencing, and acting. Understanding, experience, and acting. So starting with understanding. If we're going to understand another culture, the first thing we've got to do, the first step we've got to take, the first attitude we've got to take on is humility. We need to be humble enough to recognize that our culture is not better than anybody else's. It's simply the one that we know the best and we're most familiar with and we're, more, we're most comfortable with. In fact, our culture has actually put blinders on us so that it makes us harder to understand, makes it harder for us to understand somebody else's culture. I'll give you an example, a couple of examples here. If you went to school and you studied history, maybe I'll do, a, I'll do a poll here. How many of you know who W.E.B. Du Bois is? One, two, three, four, a few of you, yeah. 
If you studied history in school, why didn't we all read W.E.B. Du Bois? Why? Because he's an African-American historian. And most of us in this room are fairly pale, if you know what I'm saying. Or if you studied literature, if you studied literature in school, did you read James Baldwin? One of the greatest writers of his generation, but you, most people probably didn't read him because our, our culture, our predominant culture, had blinders on. Or if you went to school for theology like I did, I never read James Cone. Great theologian, great African-American theologian. I never even heard his name when I went to school. Never even heard his name. And you notice I just, I, I went through a list that were all male. So I can't even talk about, you know, people like Will Gaffney and Christina Cleland and, and, and Austin Channing Brown and Diana Butler Bass and all these great female theologians that I didn't hear about in Bible school either. I had to learn about those later. Why? Because my culture put blinders on me and said this is what's worth looking at. If we want to have cultural understanding, if we want to start developing empathy for other cultures, we have to first have the humility to take those blinders off and say, there are other perspectives that I have been sheltered from. And that doesn't mean that my culture is any better or worse than anybody else's. It's just the only one I've been exposed to. So once we've develop some humility, then we need curiosity. We need to take the step to say, I want to learn about other cultures. I want to learn about the perspectives of other people. I want to start learning what their perspective is, what their culture is like. I want to start reading some of these authors I've never heard of. I want to start looking into Latin American or Native American culture. I want to look into Latinx culture. I want to look into Asian culture or Arabic culture. I want to look into these cultures and say, I want to learn more about these people. I want to learn their perspective. Not so I can become like them, but so that I can understand them and have empathy for them. And folks, if you haven't understand another, if you haven't studied another culture, then you don't have a place to criticize it. If you don't understand it, don't criticize it, because you don't know what you're talking about. I'm I'm not going to be writing you know critical articles about hip hop culture. I'm just not going to do it. You know, I and I'm, and I may never you know you may never become comfortable in another culture. Like, you're not going to have me, you know, you're not going to hear me up here spitting little gaudy rhymes. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because it's just not me who I am. But I can at least understand where they're coming from, and I can understand the culture that they're developing. This is is what Paul did as 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 someone, Paul was this New Testament character who went around from country to country and city to city to tell people about Jesus. And he went into cultures that were so different from his own. And one of my favorite passages in the New Testament is found in Acts chapter 17. Because Paul is traveling and he gets to Greece, right? He gets to Athens, Greece. Like the center of Greek culture and the center of intellectual thought and the center of all these things. And he's like, I got to tell these people about Jesus. So what does he do? 
Acts chapter 17. Paul stood up in the middle of the council on Mars Hill and said, People of Athens, I see that you are very religious in every way. As I was walking through town and carefully observing your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What you worship is unknown, I now proclaim to you. And then he says, In God we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So Paul's trying to communicate about Jesus to these people. What does he do? He says, listen, I know your culture. I understand your religion. I understand your culture, your poets. I've read your poets. I've read your authors. I've read your philosophy. Now let's have a conversation. He didn't come in to criticize their culture. He came in to say, listen, I understand, but I have something more to tell you. I want to share with you some of my culture. That's empathy. That's understanding the path. And that's how we, that's how we take, a, take the first step toward develop, developing cult, cultural empathy. I'll, I'll drop this little hint. Those of you who've been around here, you know the last few times I've preached, I've used this different translation that you probably looked at your phones and went, this doesn't match my NIV. This is, the, this is the common English Bible. Because what I, what I thought about, what I thought about about a year or so ago, is that, you know, culture impacts everything, including how Bibles get translated, if you didn't know that. There are different Bibles coming from different cultures. And uh, if you use an NIV or if you use a New Living Bible, and there's nothing wrong with these translations, mind you, but they're translated by all White guys. I mean, let's just say it. They're all white, male, middle-aged theologians who do the Bible translations. And I discovered this common English Bible, which is actually, when they, dis- when they gathered their committee to, d- to translate this Bible, they said, well, you know what? Let's include people from other continents, like not just Americans. Let's include people from Asia, and let's include people from South America, and let's include people from Africa. Let's include women, And so this is a Bible translation that's been made by a diverse group of people. So I'm like, yeah, let me start using that in my devotions and see if it changes my perspective on some things. So once we've gathered that information, once we've begun to understand another culture, the next step is to experience another culture. And here's where it starts to get a little uncomfortable because we've got to go into spaces where we might not feel as comfortable as we'd like to feel. But the first way we can do it is just to use our imagination. Have some cultural imagination. Ask myself, what would it feel like if that were me? If I was part of that culture, if I grew up in that culture, if that was my world, what would it feel like? How would I feel? It's hard for me to understand another culture. I have to take it, I have to make an effort. What would it what would it feel like if I if my great great grandfather was, was owned as a slave? What would it feel like for me if that's how I grew up? If I grew up knowing that? How would it change me? How would it affect me? I have to ask myself those questions. 
There was an article in the free press I read this week or last week, I forget which, about a young man who got a, 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 a racial discrimination settlement. He won a racial discrimination lawsuit against a, a company, and he had his settlement check from the lawsuit. They settled the lawsuit, and he went to a bank to try to dis- deposit the check, and the bank thought he was trying to scam them, and they called the cops on him. That would never happen to me. If I went to the bank to deposit a big check, you know what they would say? Thank you. They wouldn't call the cops on me. So I have to ask myself, what would it, felt, what, what would it feel like if I was there, if that, that was me, if that had happened to me? Start to feel what they feel, not just see what, what happens to other people, but to try to experience, to try to feel what it feels like. Now that's not possible entirely, but I can try. What would it feel like if I grew up in, in rural Alabama and, you know, basically was taught some level of racism my entire life? I didn't know anything else. And now I'm getting to the point where all my economic opportunities are drying up and I'm living paycheck to paycheck or I'm, I'm dead poor. How would that affect me? Because that's not my experience. You know, you, you look up white privilege in the dictionary and you probably see my picture. So I have to make an effort to try to understand people whose experience is different than me. I have to try not just to know what they experience, but to try to feel what they feel. That's empathy. But we can go beyond imagination. We can go beyond imagination and we can actually enter into somebody else's culture and experience it. I remember, this is a number of years ago now, Amber Long said, I've never met a Muslim person. I've never actually talked to one. I'd like to get to know them. I want to have more cultural empathy. So she found someone who was hosting these dinner with your Muslim neighbor. And she went and she had dinner with a complete stranger just so that she could understand that culture a little bit better. You know? I could go over to Coyote Joe's, which is right up in my neighborhood, and I could go learn to line dance to, to Billy Ray Cyrus or whoever's the big country artist now. I don't even know. I could do that. I'm not likely to do that. But I could do that if I wanted to develop more empathy for that culture, if I wanted to understand it better, if I wanted to feel. Maybe I would fall in love with square dancing. I have no idea. I doubt it. But regardless, if I wanted to develop more cultural empathy, I could do that. And another opportunity, which is, which is going to open its door pretty soon, Sam's already talked about this, uh, another opportunity to experience another culture is to travel, right? Not just as a tourist. Okay, if you do the tourist thing, that's not, that's not really experiencing another culture. That's experiencing like the Disneyland version of another culture, right? But if you actually travel and you explore and you dig in and you go with a mind to try to understand another culture, you can experience it. We're, you know, we're, we're going to, Sam's got a plan to do a, a missions trip down to Mexico later in this year. And I, I'll be honest with you, I have mixed emotions on those sorts of things because I've seen these short-term missions trips turn into like white savior syndrome, 
like, like, oh, these poor people, we'll go down in there and we'll build them a, a, a toilet. My dad, my dad went to the Dominican Republic once and they dug, they dug like uh, outhouses for people. I'm like, okay, they need the outhouses, but are you really developing empathy for that culture while you're at it, or are you just acting like you're the savior coming in to fix their problem for them? If you really go on one of these trips with the intention to, to learn from these people and to appreciate their culture and to have empathy for them, it can change your life. It can completely change your perspective. And I would encourage you to do that. Because we need to develop empathy for other cultures rather than treat them as enemies or as less than. And finally, the third step, and this is the hardest one, of developing cultural empathy is acting. Acting on someone else's behalf. Once you understand their culture, once you've experienced their culture, then you know the struggles that they have, the difficulties that they have, the oppression that they've been under, the things that have, that have kept them from flourishing, and you have a choice whether or not to do something about it whether or not to do something about it. And this is the hardest part because acting on someone else's behalf, acting on behalf of another culture, requires, usually requires some measure of sacrifice. I've got to give up something to help someone who's less fortunate than I am. I've got to sacrifice something to help them, to be a benefit to them. There's a quote that's been floating around for years, and I tried to find this, who actually originated this quote, and nobody knows who originated this quote, um, but I won't take ownership for it. It says, equality feels like injustice if you've lived in privilege. Equality feels like injustice. So if you've lived a life where you've kind of, in, you know, you've experienced some level of advantage in your society then when somebody who hasn't had those advantages comes up to your level, it feels like injustice because it feels like you're coming down. It feels like you're losing and they're winning when really it's just leveling out. Equality feels like injustice when you've experienced privilege. And this is where, like I said, it gets really difficult. Because, and it also gets very personal. It gets very personal. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk on eggshells this morning. So don't throw, you nobody has any tomatoes to throw at me, right? All right, good. I have mediocre health care coverage for my company. It's not great. But I can go to the hospital and they'll fix me. Now, I went to the doctor this week and they they took care of what I was dealing with, you know? I can do that. But there are people in our society who don't, who don't have access to health care. If I have empathy for them, if I truly have empathy for them, then I probably would, should do something about that. Maybe, maybe I need to sacrifice a little bit of my the you know quality of my healthcare or the cost of my healthcare so that somebody else can have it that doesn't have it 
Now, you're probably sitting there going, hey, you're talking politics. No, 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 politics are next week. Sam will talk about politics. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about ethics. I'm talking about empathy. Now, what it looks like is between you and God. How you choose to sacrifice for the good of someone else is, up, is between you and God. I'm not telling you how to do that. I'm not telling you what that's going to look like to you. I'm telling you that once you have empathy, once you've experienced somebody else's life, you understand what they're going through, it should move on, it should move you to action, to do something for their benefit. That's what Jesus did, right? Jesus, as God, understood what we were going through as human beings. And he said, you know what? I'm going to become a man. I'm going to go down to earth and I'm going to live life as a man. I'm going to experience life just the way these human beings do. I'm going to experience all the things that they experience. But he didn't stop there. He said, now that I've experienced it, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to do something to lift them up from the pain that they're experiencing and give them a new way of living. That's what Jesus did. He sacrificed himself for our benefit because he had empathy for us. And folks, you and I, if we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then that's exactly what we're called to do, to imitate Jesus by sacrificing for the good of others. That's what we're called to do. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus said. If you want to love your life, then lose it, Jesus said. This is what we're called to do. So I'm going to challenge you this morning, and I know this has been heavy. There's no way around it, and I know I've probably gone long because it's a lot to talk about. But I challenge you, as the band sings another song this morning, to take a minute and allow God to speak to your heart and ask yourself if you've judged other cultures in ignorance. Have you made judgments about cultures that you didn't understand? Have you felt good about yourself by saying that culture is less than? And then ask yourself, what would a Jesus-shaped perspective on that culture be? What would Jesus, how would Jesus treat that culture? How would he have empathy for that culture? And finally, what steps are you going to take to develop better cultural empathy in your own life? What steps are you going to take to understand another culture better? What steps are you going to take to experience what they experience and try to understand what they feel? What steps are you going to take to act on their behalf once you understand what they're going through? So like I said, as the, as the band sings, I want you to let the Holy Spirit just take a moment and, and speak to your heart. See if you get any answers to those questions. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that we've had. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, inspired you, and you experience life change. If you are unable to attend our Sunday gatherings but still want to support this faith community, visit our giving page at centralchurch.cc. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.